All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? First of all, Jeff Tweedy of Wilco and Jeff Tweedy fame is on the show today. And uh, I know a lot of you people wanted him to be on the show. And I and I was hesitant for a while. Not really hesitant, but I feel like 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 Wilco is one of those bands that, um, you know, I was a, a big Uncle Tupelo fan. And then when they broke up, uh, I, I weighed both of them out. I, I got the Sunvolt record, Jay's record. I got uh, Jeff's uh, uh, Wilco record. And I listened to the first two of each of their albums solo or, or with the new bands. And then I kind of drifted. So it wasn't, I, I know Wilco is a great band and Jeff's a great artist, but I hadn't kept up. It wasn't that I didn't like them, but I hadn't kept up, and I feel insecure uh, and weird to book people if I don't keep up. I obviously I listened to yeah a few of the records as they came, but I didn't you know I I felt I just felt like I didn't know the catalog as well as I should. So when I got the opportunity, I locked in and uh, I listened to it. Now I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. The other thing I want to talk about is that I'm at the Ice House this Sunday, December 2nd, 7 p.m. show. You can go to WTFpod.com slash tour for the link or IcehouseComedy.com for tickets. Uh, That's going to be the last long set for months probably, which is not great for me. But uh, but it's a reality because I start shooting Glow this week. I'm going to be immersed in that. That is sort of all-consuming. I may do some short sets on weekends, but I'm... I'm going to be off the grid a bit. I, I will find the time to do this, obviously. We bank some interviews. I'll, I'll get them in when I can, but uh, I'm going to be off the grid. I'm actually considering, you know, really getting off the grid. Something just got sparked in me, actually, it, 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 and it happened because of something to do with this show. And uh, I'm just always overwhelmed with, uh, with the reactions of this show with the impact it has, but this, this thing just kind of, oh man. So here's the email rock on Mark. Hey Mark, three years ago, you interviewed Steve Albini on your podcast and you asked him what the most important album he had worked on in his career was. I thought he would talk about working on Nirvana's in utero or Pixies surfer Rosa, but instead he talked about an unknown musician named John Grabsky and his album teeth. John's story of battling cancer by making a rock album with his favorite producer of all time was really inspiring to me. After listening to the episode, I contacted John's family and Steve Albini to see if they would be interested in helping me make a short documentary film about John. That film is now complete. It's called Rock vs. Cancer and is now available for people to watch on YouTube. We decided to release it today to coincide with National Giving Day. This was a couple days ago. And I hope that people will watch the film and be inspired to give to cancer research. Thank you for the show and thank you for inspiring this film. The film, Rock vs. Cancer, if you go to YouTube and just search for Rock vs. Cancer, this is from a guy named Jacob Kindberg, uh, who made the film. And uh, if you go to YouTube.com and search, uh, search Rock versus Cancer, you'll get the, the, the first two things that come up are the trailer and the 18-minute documentary. And uh, it's, uh, it's powerful, man. And, and it just, God, it just, it, 
you know, I, I'm a nutbag. You know, I, I'm I, I'm I'm a compulsive person. I'm I'm always sort of you know, you know distracted and engaged in things that you know aren't necessarily the the best things, or or I don't know if they're things that I I want to be doing, or I just feel compelled to do them. And uh, you know, there's a lot of things in in culture and in, in our lives where you just you never have a second to think or do. Constantly distracted, constantly working your brain over, and and just like seeing a little doc like this, given the situation, and really kind of makes you wonder, like, what you know, what are we here for? What is life supposed to be? What uh, what's important? And you know, sometimes I get so fucking caught up with such bullshit. I just uh, I'm just constantly distracted by bullshit, and I really wonder whether or not I'm I'm engaged in life. And I'll tell you, man, watching a thing like that, you know, is is pretty phenomenal. So, so if you have a second, you know, check that out. I and I I I don't know. I don't. I didn't really have any part in it other than it gave this guy the idea, and I, and I'm happy. I'm happy I did that. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, it was really something else. Yeah, I start shooting Glow this week as I'm speaking now. I'm shooting. I started a couple days ago. About a week ago, I got my my haircut for Sam Sylvia. And uh, yesterday, I I buzzed off my soul patch for Sam Sylvia. And I imagine when I go down there later today to do a one-line scene, and I get my hair blown out, and I put on my Sam glasses, I will inhabit Sam. We can only hope. We can only hope. The thing I'm hoping most for is that uh, this season is that somehow I engage more deeply in the acting process. Uh, obviously, it's something that you know I'm I'm relatively new to, and I, I as people who listen to this show, you hear me talk to actors, and I'm I'm always looking for a lesson or two, and I hope that uh, I, I hope that manifests this season. I, I I think it's going to be a great season. It, as some of you know, the season last uh, last year left off. Uh, second season left off with the with me and the uh, crew, me and the ladies, going to Vegas. So this season will be in Vegas. We will be doing Glow in Vegas. I think that's all I can tell you. And I honestly don't know that much more. I've only got the first two scripts, and um, and I have a sense of where my character's going which I had not done the last two seasons. I guess it was offered to me, but I don't remember it being offered to me that there was the, the option to talk to the showrunners and get sort of a a character arc for the season, which I, I neglected to do the last two seasons. I don't remember it being offered to me, but I did do it this time, and uh, I have a sense, and it's, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be surprising. I, I don't think it, everything you expect, if you're a Glow fan, uh, is going to happen the way you expected it. I, I don't I I, it, I didn't expect it to happen the way that the, they told me it was going to happen. But anyways, that's the process I'm about to enter and it is all consuming. But I will check in. I will obviously be doing the show here twice a week with guests. But uh, I think the thing that suffers the most is the uh, the stand up, really, because I can't get out in it as much as I like to get out in it. And like I said, uh, this Sunday at the Ice House will be the last hour in a while. And I was doing some work at the comedy store last week. I got a few new bits working and I'm excited to do that. Uh, 7 p.m. The Ice House. Come out if you'd like. 
Sorry, I sound a little heavy-hearted, but uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just uh, I'm busy and humbled somehow. It happens, you know. You you get time to think, you get time to reflect, you spend time with family, you think about yourself, think about changes you have to make in your life as life goes on, and uh, you get you get heavy-hearted. But it's okay. It's okay. As, as at least I'm connected with the weight. Better being heavy-hearted than. Uh, than uh, cold-hearted. When your heart is heavy, you know you have one. Wow, did I just did I make that up? I don't think that's an uplifting adage, but it, but it is something. It is it is something, right? So Jeff Tweedy, look, I I listen to AM. I listen to Being There. I listen to Summer Teeth and Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot. I listened to them all when they came out, but then I I drifted. And I don't know that I put those albums into the context that they belong in. And I didn't want to do a disservice to the interview. But I've done this before. And I knew he would be an interesting guy. But I also got the sense that I I don't know how talkative he is. Is he going to? I don't know. And I met him once. I met him uh, a couple years ago at a small event at someone's home. And I liked him. And we had talked then about, about, you know, getting him on. So, you know, the book comes out and, and here comes Jeff. And I'm like, well, I gotta, I gotta lean in, man. I'm gonna have to, I gotta lean in and listen to the shit. So I did. I went through, I went through all of it again, and I listened to a lot of ones I hadn't listened to, and it's, it's sort of astounding. And I talked to Jeff about this, just the production and the balance of the instruments. I mean, there, if you're, a, I'm a fan of the band, and there's something about production that, uh, that either is going to make something of its time or make something timeless. And the timeless part is rare, but I'll tell you, most of that Wilco stuff, it, it can exist forever and, and, it, and it's its own thing, production-wise and lyrically. And then I, I started wondering, well, why don't I listen to it much? I don't know, maybe me and Jeff have too much in common. Maybe it's the heavy-hearted thing. Maybe it's the existential um, sort of uh, rumination thing. I don't know. I don't listen to it enough, but it was sure, it was sure great to sort of check in with it and get it all in my head before I talk to him and sort of skim through the book. So I hope that uh, you enjoy this because it was sort of a long time coming uh, for some people and and for myself. The new book, Let's Go So We Can Get Back, a memoir of recording and discording with Wilco, etc., is available now wherever you get books. And his new solo album, Warm, comes out uh, tomorrow, November 30th. So uh, this is me talking to Jeff Tweedy. <laughs> Got up around eight. That's not bad. Yeah. Can you sleep? Are you are you able to sleep? Have you hit that age where you can't sleep late? No, I yeah, I'm just good. I'm a I'm a polyphasic sleeper as as a wow the term for it. I now I uh, now I need to know what it what is that? I I rarely sleep more than three or four hours at a time. Right. But I make I, I'm able to go to sleep almost. Immediately, you immediately, could, you and could like, go now. Yeah, I could go now. I could get, <laughs> I could get a good half an hour in right now if I needed it. Yeah. So, oh, so that's how it works. So you do four, you're up, and then later you'll hit a twenty like, minute nap. Yeah, I'll nap. I'll like periodically, like after sound check before yeah. the show. Um, well, but it'll work for you. Like I can. That's a that's a good way to be in the sense of if if you can do the twenty minute nap and then you, just be like boom. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. I can do that. I I 
you know, I can even do like an hour and a half nap and and pop up and be pretty pretty together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they always say you're supposed to not nap more than twenty minutes or something like that. But I, I balderdash. I don't. Yeah, I don't no. Care. If I <laughs> if I do an hour and a half, you know, then like then I'm uh, I can either I'll be fucked after that or I'll be great. Yeah. But sometimes it takes about 10, 15 minutes to wake up from an hour and a half nap. You know, there's so much. It's, I think it's just an, it's like a survival strategy for uh-huh. being on the road sure. so for my like all, all of my life. adult life. So <laughs> just being able, you know, there's so much waiting around yeah. in, in rock music. So, yeah. so just being able to knock out hours of it by being unconscious. Yeah, that's better. It's better <laughs> yeah, it's than the, totally the sort better. of like the anticipation, the uh, like, you know, those guys got to set that up. Mm-hmm. And then we okay, we got an hour, two yeah. hours. Okay, now the doors are open. People are coming in. <laughs> we got another hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you wake up. Where are we going to eat? I don't know. Is there a place? Yeah. That thing? There's a Yeah, the food's usually taken care of these days. It's not not as much of a, you know, hunting hunting and gathering situation as it was yeah. early on you're, you're touring you know, there's with usually there's catering or there's you know there's a plan that's yeah being executed by someone by somebody's in charge <laughs> they know what you like to eat they can yeah, find the I'm place pretty, for you. i'm pretty simple really well i mean i try and eat vegan and how's that going uh that's pretty easy actually more more than i would have thought and and certainly um if you're playing big cities it's no yeah. problem at all but what uh, what was the decision process on the vegan thing my was it your wife vegan my youngest son became fairly adamant about the idea of the whole family becoming vegan and then he's he's kind of abandoned it he's like a vegetarian now <laughs> got, he's, got, he's at college he said it's too hard he but, sucked all you guys in and now he's like yeah, i'm yeah. eating fish yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's a pescatarian now. <laughs> yeah. No, he um uh so yeah, he he planted the seed and then uh my engineer that I work with all the time at the yeah. studio yeah. is vegan and he's been vegan for like 30 years. So I found it very easy to just order what he orders for yeah. lunch every day. Yeah. And uh so that was one meal knocked out every day. Yeah. That I didn't have to think about. Right. And breakfast you can skip. And I go there every day. I go yeah. to the studio every day. So it just became Your studio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in Chicago. Correct. Right. So yeah, I mean I don't uh, you know, I'm I as I get older, I I'm just uh, right now I'm fucking I got myself strung out on nicotine again with these goddamn, these, like I was off of these uh-huh. for a while, uh-huh. the lozenges. Yeah. And then like I started hitting cigars. Uh-huh. And then like, you know, I thought like I could just handle one. I mean, I've, I've been through this cycle so many mm-hmm. times and then like two, three cigar, cigars a day, I'm yeah. fucked. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, I need to get on these to get off of the, the cigars. You got to get off the cigars. I have, I have to, I have like a, I have a prejudice against cigars. I don't know why. In general? In general. The like, affectation of it? Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. I, I wasn't really on them publicly. I was on them yeah. on my porch. <laughs> yeah. Well, before, that's good. And before I go on, no, it was really about having been a smoker mm-hmm. for a long time. Just a fucking dry. It's just a nicotine. Yeah. I had I I uh, I had one of the the stupidest maneuvers in terms of uh, to you know nicotine management yeah. you could ever you could ever execute. Which yeah. was I started smoking to quit chewing tobacco. Well, you grew up with the chew. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah, I started smoking when I was like twenty four years old or something like that to get off the chew to stop the chew. dip. Yeah. 
It was more socially acceptable, for one, when I moved to Chicago. <laughs> yeah, dipping is never, there's very few circles no. uh, where that's socially acceptable. And in the circles that it is, it's usually two other dudes. Right, and, right. And you're just spitting into a beer bottle and trying not to drink each other's spit by accident. Right, yeah, and that and once that happens, then Oof. you've lost, <laughs> lost a friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lost a wife, that's, lost a. That's a that's a bad day. Yeah, when you take that one slug of dip, yep. uh, spit. Yeah, where'd you grow up again? Southern Illinois, uh, closer to St. Louis than Chicago, just across the Mississippi River from from St. Louis. It all, it fascinates me that there are certain dudes, and I know a few: a guy from Nashville, a guy from Ohio, that grew up dipping. Like you know, it's just it's a regional thing. It's not you know. Yeah, I worked in a liquor store that. Uh, Basically, you could do whatever you want. You could try any alcohol you wanted. How old were you? I was I was eighteen. Oh, just right when you turned eighteen. Yeah. Uh, I, well, it wasn't the legal legal drinking age, but, but you I, could legally work I would, there. I, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. They did all kinds of illegal things there. They uh, they made me a night manager at eighteen at a and, liquor store at a liquor store and gave me a gun. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd, you'd leave it in the safe but yeah. at, the, at, at the end of the day you'd uh, do the p- deposit and you'd take the gun with you to go drive to the bank and do the night de- night deposit well like a 38 I have no idea I never took it out of the holster I was, like, I was <laughs> you just terrified strapped it on and... but they would do things like hey I left something for you on the copier and you'd go back there and there'd be lines of cocaine on the copier <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> they oh, it's just the worst place. But it, but yeah. So they, looking back on it, though, I mean, like, at the time, was it the worst place? Or like, I mean, I, when I was younger, if there were two lines on the copy, I'd be like, no, oh, thanks, man. Um, well, yeah, there was something, <laughs> so I guess, sort of uh, appealing about that. But yeah. they, but they were, but there was such a deep, you know, pang of understanding that there's something really wrong going on here. These people yeah, yeah, but... are really awful. Uh, the uh, the guy that was my boss, yeah. he was just the manager of one store. These people owned like a few stores yeah. in the region. And uh, he got fired, I guess, for being like a, a coke guy <laughs> guy or yeah. whatever guy i don't know what happened provided had yeah. supplied whatever he, he came back and robbed the place <laughs> with a gun you, with the gun yeah during the day <laughs> he knew where the gun was yeah <laughs> and, and then like, what everybody's happened? like hey yeah hey frank yeah <laughs> take everything you need yeah <laughs> and what happened you end up in jail that guy? i think he did yeah yeah he was just one, he was just one of those uh dark side guys yeah yeah, yeah there was a lot there was Boy, I could go on and on about that place, but I, I don't know. How'd you get to... that gig? All of my friends worked there because uh, it was like somebody stumbled upon it in uh, my group of friends. It was in the and neighborhood? Then, they, then it was just like, okay, they, these guys will hire anybody, everybody. Yeah. And then they, they rented, a, my friends rented a house about a block away. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was like the best stocked bar in Southern Illinois because <laughs> just robbing the place blind. Right. You just wheel... You know, just roll uh, kegs out on the loading dock, and people swing by and pick them up. And <laughs> so it uh, created a whole uh, uh, circle of alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah, no, yeah. it was like it was. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. It was just an endless supply. Uh, how old are you? I'm fifty one. Fifty one. I'm fifty five. So I mean, but that was a time, you know. I mean, that was sort of like when you're uh, you're a little younger than me, but you know, back then. You know that that was rock and roll. You thought you were living it, right? Uh, 
I don't know. I think that there was. Um, I'm I'm like a rule follower, really. Really, <laughs> like, by nature. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, were I you mean, brought up with it? Uh, no, not necessarily. I just like I don't know. There's, I'm just always I've always been really suspicious of of bros or you know like or like a male that kind of male bonding. Um, I was never really comfortable with it. Like, well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, bros are bros. But like, I mean, it seemed to me that. Back then, like when I was in high school, you know, I I knew who the bros were. I knew who the jocks yeah. were. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't fighting with them. I knew who the freaks were. Uh-huh. But there was sort of a middle range of cats yeah. that weren't bros or freaks. But, you know, they had a good time. You know, I, I mean, you know, not to be too too heavy about it. But I think even when I was participating in any kind of debauched behavior, yeah. uh, I had the... Uh, you know the baggage of coming from a fairly damaged family by those sure. types of things. Yeah. So it was never allowed to be completely fun in my mind. I think. You yeah, know? but it, and that wasn't an issue of like you know necessarily the self awareness of what could happen, but just sort of like yeah, it's bad memories, kind yeah. of like you know. Well, no, it's <laughs> just like I I see where this can go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And 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 I really don't want to go there. Um, but did you find you you didn't have control over that? Oh, eventually, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What did you grow up with? How many siblings in your family? Um, I have two. I had two brothers and a sister. Uh, uh, one of my brothers has passed away, but I grew up. Um, I'm ten years younger than them, so they they were all were pretty much kid. gone by the time. So I was like kind of the baby and an only child in the in the household I grew uh, up right. in. So by the time you were ten. They're all gone. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't even one to give you records. N- well, no, actually, I, I got a lot of records you did? from them. That was it was really kind of like a saving, uh, saved my life. Really, I mean, my sister is the oldest, so she had all of the most amazing, you know, just pop forty fives of the time and Motown and all that with my with my aunt Gail. Which this is how we do it in Southern Illinois. My yeah. aunt Gail is is a little bit younger than my sister. Yeah. So my, right. my, my grandmother <laughs> and my mother were par- pregnant at the same time. Oh wow! They, my aunt and my my sister went to high school together. Right. So anyway, so their records got combined, and I got, I inherited those. And then my brother, um, my oldest brother, had a, a collection of records uh-huh. that was really advanced, like college. Uh, serious record collecting at the time. Oh yeah, he went. To, he went to college in Oregon, and he came home, and he had all these like uh, space rock records, like you know Hawkwind and Oh and really, Am- and Kraftwerk. Oh yeah, and, yeah, and Aphrodite's Child, and all this like just really mind expanding out there kraut rock stuff. Yeah, and and you know he he uh, he intervened uh, and. Uh, prohibited me from mailing off a uh, Columbia House Record Club. Oh yeah, thing. He, he stopped you from the Aerosmith ELO Joe Walsh hole for for a penny. Yeah, for a yeah. penny. I had him. Yeah, yeah I got yeah. him. Yeah, he said, yeah. you know, no, no, I'll give you my records, and he did. He 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 lived up to his promise, and he 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 just left this giant crate of, you know. Stuff that's hard to find today. No, no, I know. I, I, I didn't know anything about that stuff. What, Hawkwind? Yeah. I didn't even know they existed. Yeah, <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? There's right. like 12, 15, 20 records. Yeah, no, it's like in Lemmy was- well, Lemmy was there, yeah, yeah. Ty Siegel turned me on. He got yeah. me into that shit. Yeah, yeah. And Amandouli, is that what it's called? Amand, uh, I, I always called it Amandouli. Amandouli, yeah. yeah. I just started. I just got into that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that was going into your, what, 15-year-old head? 
Oh, even younger. Yeah. yeah like, you know, like, uh, you know, 10 or 10 or 11, something like that. I so think. you had the pop music of uh, what, the 70s? Yeah. With from 60s, your, 60s, 60s and 70s. Yeah. And then you had that way out on the other side. Yeah. And it all, it, you know, when you're that age, there's, there's no, uh, you know, there's no critical guideline that's being, you know, no. foisted upon you that's drawing lines in between these two. Other types. than radio. Right, but the radio was so stagnant, you know, it was right. playing the same songs right. that my brother listened to on the radio. Right, and that he warned you against. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's weird because if you think about like the you know the first few Wilco records like that, there is that element of that sound, you know, finding yeah. its way in with the space noises and stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's yeah. um um you know, it's a formative experience that I think does probably uh explain a certain amount of uh uh i don't know just not being particular particularly monogamous with any genre you know just like I, right like exactly. never really cared about that 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 notion that you define yourself like, yeah by no some... yeah I, I definitely you definitely do all the genres yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah, every so, one of them. Every almost. one of them is is like, yeah. is, is represented on <laughs> yeah. one or one or the other of the records. But I did find I I did really notice because I think I met um, Michael Jorgensen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, at a party not long ago, and he you know he sent me his record uh-huh. of this of this the NASA yeah, record yeah, yeah. of yeah. the the space sounds yeah yeah. And then I started to be able to identify, like going back, listening to some of the catalog, you know, in preparation to talk to you, that there is a sort of sonic weirdness that sure. seems to emanate from him through mm-hmm. a lot of the records. Right. That, that, that is sort of like some mm-hmm. of the stuff you were just talking about. Right, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, like, is that something that happened organically? I mean, because it's it's odd that the layers of, of like, re-listening to a, a lot of the earlier stuff... I mean, the production on it is so is so beautiful and so spacious and so you know, kind of like the band like in some mm-hmm. ways. But the but not unlike Garth Hudson, mm-hmm. you know, you have a, a a weird sort of keyboard thing going. Oh, on. Oh, sure, yeah. I think that started a little bit before Mike, but certainly Mike was in, uh, you know, a a, a, a picked a, up a good, a good fit uh-huh. when when he joined the band. Oh, he joined later. Yeah, yeah. 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 So so uh, that wasn't even him. Who was doing that originally? Uh, on the Summer Teeth record, I think it's probably the first record where we started incorporating like synthesizers and sounds that would be associated with space. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but as like Jay Bennett and, and, and in some cases it was, uh, you know, whenever it's like something you can play on a synthesizer with one finger, it's probably me. You can do it. (laughs) I can handle this. Yeah. This will make all, all the noises on its own. Exactly. It it arpeggiates. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't even know what an arpeggio (laughs) is but this is doing it (laughs) so where does like in that in that background so you're alone in the house you know you're 10 and all your siblings are out and you got their records and what's your old man do he worked on the railroad he really worked on the railroad all the live long day yeah Yeah. for sure yeah no yeah for 46 years he worked on the railroad doing what uh he um he started out working underneath the trains uh like you know cleaning he was like kind of around for the transition from steam to diesel he was like he dropped out of high school to take care of my mom he got her pregnant yeah and so he got a job on the railroad he started off 
underneath the train. Yeah. And then at some point, somebody figured out that he was pretty smart. Uh-huh. And even though he didn't have a high school diploma, they yeah. had sent him to Arizona to learn how to program computers. Oh, yeah. And he uh, learned how to program computers with punch cards, and he eventually became superintendent of a switching yard. Which is, you know, a giant concentration of track where all the yeah. trains get rearranged. Yeah, to you go, can't fuck yeah. up there. No, yeah. So he, <laughs> it was, he was, is live, you know, living, breathing railroad twenty four hours a day. And is that something you spend time on? Like, did you go down to where he worked or anything? No, no, never. No, I was, I was pretty sheltered from it, and it was. He wanted to keep you away from trains. Yeah, I write about it in the book a fair amount. You know, just like because my mom, my mom for some reason did not want me to associate with any of my dad's friends from the railroad or anything. <laughs> they weren't allowed in the house. Really? Yeah. They, Rough guys. They were pretty. Uh, yeah, they're pretty disgusting. You know? Yeah. <laughs> in what way? Oh, just boozy. Uh, well, filthy. Fi- you know, like actually, you know, Grimy? dirt. Yeah. 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 Uh, for one, I think that's part of the reason she she one of the excuses she gave for not wanting them in the house. But but they but they yeah they just told the worst, oh, dis- yeah. most disgusting stories uh-huh. and and so cursed and because you were the youngest, it, it had had she learned a certain number of lessons from the older ones and like you know was were you more sheltered or more insulated? For or? sure, I don't know if she learned any lessons, but she definitely uh, uh, it felt like I was. I was facilitating a uh, an unwitting role of being her companion. You know, right. I was like a mama's boy. You know, right. like I was a thing. Uh, Everyone was gone. Your yeah. dad's at work. Yeah. But you still got this one. I was an uncontested eatable victor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you won without even fighting. But understanding what it <laughs> what that is. It wasn't a tough fight. No. Yeah. No. So, uh, yeah, my brothers, my brothers did end up working on the railroad. And like my cousins and my uncles and everybody worked on the railroad, but but I was I was I was told very uh, very she, early on that it was not what I was going to do. She had higher hopes for you. No, not necessarily. I just, just think that want, she just didn't want me to be on the railroad. <laughs> I'm not going to let you become one of those monsters, one of those train monsters. I, she right rightly or wrongly i don't know she she associated a lot of the demons that like plagued our family and our you know broader our overall clan uh i think she associated it with the railroad too you know I mean, like what, drinking and, and and a lot of things like that yeah what were some of the other demons booze booze and alcohol and you know all yeah. that stuff yeah all that stuff booze and alcohol booze and alcohol yeah booze alcohol hooch hooch <laughs> no. rage sadness uh, what put drugs too oh, yeah. yeah i don't know if she associated that with the railroad so much as she just associated it with was it it was a lifestyle she saw yeah mm. i think i think that's part of it you know yeah. i think it's just um a cause and effect that maybe didn't have a whole, you know, thought out correlation in her mind, but right, but, uh, right. But, but it was a part of the whole thing. It's just like better safe, better safe than sorry. Right. Let's just right. cut she, that world out of this. She saw they, they were a bad crowd. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, right. And so, what did she do? Well, she dropped out of high school too, and um, amazingly enough, she, I mean. She taught herself how to draft, uh, to to do drafting, uh-huh. and and uh, she got hired by a kitchen design firm in in our 
town. Yeah. And she started distal- uh, installing and designing kitchens. Right. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good work. Yeah. I mean, she was really, you know, I still have a lot of her drawings, but, you know, she, she was really good at, at uh, you know, she figured it out. I yeah. mean, I think that that's the one thing I really recognize that I learned from my parents as I've gotten older and since they're both gone now is that, uh, you know, they, they did kind of give me this, you know, belief that you can teach yourself how to do something, Yeah. you know, like, right. even, you know, vicariously, I just kind of picked that up. Maybe, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't recognize it until recently. Oh yeah. But, well, that's but, a- but that, you know, that probably made a lot, made it a lot easier to teach myself how to play guitar. Right. Cause it wasn't right. like un- unimaginable that sure. you could figure out how to do something well it's, it's interesting though and i i wonder if you had that experience writing the book because when i've i've written mm-hmm. is that you do have those kind of realizations well you know you because you're forced to be introspective and look back and mm-hmm. reframe the history of you yeah and then all of a sudden you're like wow maybe that's why i like this or maybe this is why this happened Oh, for sure it's like writing writing is remembering you know yeah like there's something about it that um requires that that uh I don't know that introspection. I I definitely un, unearthed a lot of things that I I haven't thought about in many many years. Writing, yeah, writing my book. Were there like in in each period? Uh, you know, because it's a pretty it's a big arc in the book. Well, I'm not. You know, like the thing that was really daunting going into writing a book is like I don't feel like I'm particularly um, nostalgic as a person. I'm not like super sentimental about. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time reflecting on the past. I I'm, I'm I stay pretty busy yeah. make, making stuff and looking forward to doing stuff, right? Things like that. But yeah, the process of writing the book, I started um, being surprised by how much detail I could remember about things I hadn't thought of in a long time. Well, I don't know if that's like necessarily. It's sort of you know I, I I'm the same way. You know, I certainly don't think about the past much, primarily. Because at a certain point in your life, you've got to accept your past and 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 move forward with as few regrets as possible mm-hmm. and resolve the shit right. that you know you can resolve. Right. But in terms of sort of like sitting there going like, "Yeah, it was so much better." When I, I don't have any of that. I don't have any of that either. Yeah, I was like, it just keeps getting better. Well, yeah, because <laughs> as, as the world, you know, as the world burns. as the world falls apart. Yeah, uh, you know, just you just get you know you have more evidence. That you can survive shit. You know? Survive shit. And also, like, you know, as you get older, the, the things that were once so pressing and, and important in life or death, like, you, it, now you're like, why did I even give a fuck? Yeah. Well, as you, yeah, right. <laughs> as you move forward, every single fucking minute is a smaller fraction of your life. That's right. <laughs> That's why I keep thinking about not being able to sweep anymore because I'm 55 and I just can't sweep past 6 30, 7 30. And I think if there is any sort of spiritual sense in the world, it's God saying like, "You might want to be awake for this." Yeah, we're, yeah. we're running out of time here. Yeah, this yeah. The- you need to you need to start like taking bigger bites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but so that but that's but that's a beautiful thing in in terms of executing this because I imagine songwriting and and the poetics of that are, are sort of a you know a, a rendering of feelings right yeah it's a different muscle right. it's a different sure. whatever yeah uh, it, it can come in you know it can float you know it can just come but when you're sitting there with a narrative of you mm-hmm. like i just like there there are moments where you're sort of like oh fuck that's why i do the mm-hmm. yeah did you have a lot of that uh 
What yeah, were... a lot of like moments of recognition, like oh, I yeah, that makes sense. Now I now that I put it all in writing, I right. can see that that uh, like what uh, I I'm oh well, what was a big one. Well, I mean, an easy one to to recall is that you know my one of the only records my parents had when I was growing up was a record of steam engine sounds. Uh, wee, like like, a, like trains. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I don't know why my dad had this record. Yeah. Do you think that that would be the last thing he'd want to listen to when he gets home? <laughs> yeah. But um, but but I used to, I used to love it, and I loved that alongside Hawkwind. You know, well, maybe not Hawkwind, but even <laughs> earlier than that, alongside the Monkees or yeah. something. And um, and that seems to me where I'm still kind of located in terms of my, my my musical appetite is somewhere between just listening to anything yeah and um you know and in a, a really beautiful pop structure right you know? yeah. yeah um so that was that was part of it what sure. about what about reflecting on like where does country music come in and what you know your relationship with with jay you know that i mean that's pretty old stuff right yeah yeah um there were some in, um some musicians in my my family on my dad's side some of my uncles uh-huh. played guitar and then their children their cousins yeah. that were more my 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 siblings age yeah. um they played music and tended to be country folk music and stuff like that so i was exposed to it through that but um it was really um Jay and I met. We shared a little bit of an interest in that in high school. We were more into punk rock. Yeah. And then at some point, you know, we both liked Bob Dylan a lot. And when you start doing the cross-referencing of, like, where did Bob Dylan get this stuff, you're led back to Woody Guthrie right. and Lead Belly and, you know, you're led to Hank Williams right. and things like that. So for us, it, it just all became... It all became punk rock, really. It was like we, the, we what the, the 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 feelings behind it, the 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 directness and the the sincerity, the honesty of it all felt like it was a, a part of something, and the self actualization of it. Maybe yeah. we wouldn't wouldn't have put it in those words at that time, but even like soul music or or uh, you know early rock and roll, yeah. all of these different types of music were pe- people kind of like liberating themselves and and freeing themselves from some um, you know you know I guess confining definition of what they're allowed to be normal expectations the expectations of society right that you know there's another way to think right it doesn't have to be like this that right yeah there's a perception that is going has has been altered and changed by this person doing this right and that comes through on the record right like which like what now so we're talking what the late 70s Early eighties, maybe the, it was the early eighties for for when Jay and I met was early. 80s. And what was because those kind of uh, those sort of defining friendships that become creative are sort of um, they're powerful and interesting because you're sharing ideas, you're sharing sort of similar tastes, and you're discovering things together. Mm-hmm. And like in terms of like what was what was the Dylan album that you the first one where you're well, like holy fuck we each. Jay had older brothers also, oh. and so we each we each years? came to each other with Dylan records oh, yeah, in yeah, tow, yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, but we were, you know, we were exploring and finding punk rock records together. What really. were the What were the punk guys that you guys were into? Um, well, the Clash, yeah, um, uh, the Minutemen, oh yeah, uh, 
we'd drive to St. Louis because they had record stores where they would have things that we could kind of like learn about and look for and I love um, that part of this of our history like our guys our age is that like you had to find the place that had them or know the guys that had them or were getting them from England or knew where the concert was going to be yeah no it wasn't like uh Hey, I wonder what disco was all about, and then all of a sudden you have all of disco. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> at your fingertips. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you really had to. You know, you yeah. had. There was like a network, a nationwide network of yeah. of zines and people with cassette tapes and ordering records. Yeah, you had to talk to people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so you'd go to the record store in St. Louis. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, it and just we, got there was a stuff. there was actually kind of a cool record store in the town I grew up in. Uh, but eventually it, it closed down and the only places to go were like over, you know, over the river. Yeah. Did you have a guy at the record store? There's always those dudes that sort of like, what'd you get? What do you got? Yeah. Um, yeah, we would we would pool our resources, Jay yeah. and I and, and, and a couple other friends that would go with us sometimes. It was, a, it was kind of verboten to buy the same record somebody else bought. Oh, you had to so, find a new thing. Well, just because we didn't want to waste our money, we wanted to hear more records. Right. And so there would be arguments over who got to buy which Meat <laughs> Puppets record or which, you know, like the, they're sometimes it would just be like, fuck it, I want one too. I'm going to have, uh, this yeah, is a record need, I need to meat own. Meat Puppets too, everyone's got to have one of those. Exactly. Yeah. You know, go yeah. get your own. That's, those are, that was a, those ones, like the ones like, um, like the Meat Puppets and the Minutemen, were really on their own track. You, you, mm-hmm. you know, like like the Ramones were great, and they were, you know, but you understood that was an understandable form. You know, it was established. You know, that rock form. Uh-huh. It was just you know turned inside out a little bit. But the Minutemen and the Meat Puppets, like, where the fuck are they coming from? Right. It was a trip, man. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Ramones kind of. Um, they're I don't know unassailable in terms of yeah. their musical contribution and everything, sure. but but yeah, it's like a uh, it's a, a fully formed persona that right. dropped out of it's a yeah. little bit of a miracle, really. Yeah, you know, I always think <laughs> yeah. of it, but yeah, it's yeah. like something you don't aspire to be the Ramones, right? You know, like you can't, right? But you could aspire to be the Minutemen, sure. Not doing the same thing as the Minutemen, but, but finding but, his but own. But three normal dudes making something that is super twisted and unique to yeah. themselves and very particular yeah. you know to their whatever their idios- idiosyncrasies have you typed have you talked to mike watt before i have he's, yeah he's got his own language yeah, yeah. totally yeah he has a, <laughs> econo you have to learn how to yeah, yeah have to meet him somewhere somewhere in between here and san pedro <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you have to uh, you you will understand san pedro by the end yeah. of the conversation i haven't i haven't spent a whole lot of time with him but nels klein is uh you know a good buddy of his oh yeah he's played with him a lot so i've heard a lot of uh nels speaks uh a fluent san fluent, pedro fluent uh, fluent what fluent Watt. <laughs> do you have I find that with Dylan records, like I, there are ones that I think I know, and then I go back to them, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. How, like I just, 
I went out and I've been accumulating copies of Planet Waves out of fear that they might not exist anymore. <laughs> like I got six of them. Yeah, yeah. Because I recently put it on the turntable and I'm like, Jesus, this is like the greatest you know, yeah. sounding record ever. Yeah. That yeah. band was like, the band in that record yeah. is sort of like, what is, it's, it's a miracle of some kind. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the one that everybody told you not to get. Exactly. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I, I put that in my head, like, this isn't a good one. And you put it on, it's like, this might be one of the best ones. It's hard to do that with Dylan because of the different periods. Yeah. But that one, that band is so tight and so loose at the same time. Yeah, that happens so much. There's so much. Uh, uh, punk rock did a lot of damage. Uh, punk rock really Two. kind of, well, I mean, it just... That's where lines in the sand started being drawn around specific genres or types right. of music, or or even how you look more more often than not. Um, and uh, that's not particularly musical or uh, admirable as a philosophy, to, sure, <laughs> you to know. Draw lines, but, but yeah, but it was like you know, I remember uh, super hardcore punk friends of mine being yeah. absolutely. Uh, just appalled that you could listen to Neil Young. Yeah, that you would listen to Neil Young. Boy, they turned out to be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Like, have you talked to them recently? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Neil's one of those things where somehow or another, most of those records, you know, the ones that you know we all know. I know he's done a million, which is always a trick for me when I talk to those guys. Mm -hmm. It's like you know, I should just get caught up and listen to some of their records. And you're like, you know, four of them. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, no, oh, there's 50. Yeah, right. But but the thing about Neil Young is that it's it's really has its own time. Like it doesn't, it's not beholden to a period. Mm -hmm. Like you can listen to it. And I think that's true with a lot of your music as well, where it's like, it's not pro production wise attached to an era, mm -hmm. nor is it, you know, uh, um, in terms of its own aesthetic attached to a period in time. It just floats in its own ether. Well, that's, a, that. thank you. That's a very high compliment in my mind. Uh, my mind yeah know. uh yeah uh yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to aim for i don't think you do can you aim, aim for it no i don't yeah. aim for it i aim for feeling something listening to a record well you know what i aim for is um i love records so much and i and i have so many records and records that mean so much to me and i i, I aim for a record that i don't have yeah, that's what I aim for. I aim for trying to make a record that is, you know, maybe I can hear that it's adjacent to some other records sure, I have, right? But a record that I don't feel like I have. In in your records, like you know, as do do different ones of them represent different points of life for you? Like, do you, are there records like that you go back to? Because I have so many records now, I don't even know what I have. And then you, when I start to see, like, what have I played twice this month or three times mm -hmm. this month? What have I sat and listened to the whole yep. way through? Right. Do you have those? Um, I I'm still I'm still more focused on finding records New and stuff? discovering stuff. But, yeah. But I do, you know, I do. There's some reliable inspiration about going back and listening to Planet Waves or, yeah, or yeah. something like that for sure. In writing the book, actually, I went back and listened to a lot of stuff that was really important to me from the time. A lot of Minutemen records yeah. and stuff like that. And uh, it was, you know, it was wonderful to to be reminded of. Uh, it in that context and and have it hold up to me now. Oh, the you know, yeah. To have it yeah. feel like, okay, this is still, um, I don't know. It's just that- You know why you liked it. Well, it's just, it doesn't, I don't know. I, it's like music that doesn't have uh, 
any risk of failure. There's just like there's no right. failure isn't a part of the equation. No one was going to fail making this music because it's so purely intended to be an expression. Right. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, I can see that. But but yeah, but finding another person, finding Jay, it yeah. was like um, you know. I describe it in the book as like finding a message in a bottle or something. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. You know, another another person to talk to. Yeah. And uh, when did you guys start uh, playing together? I mean, how did that sort of unfold? Well, I was still really learning how to play guitar, and so we, you know, we started playing together almost immediately. And yeah. a lot of the early, you know, moments of of making music together was based around standing in my bedroom and playing guitars together and Jay showing me how I'm wrong right. about playing sure. like a Ramon song or right, something. Right. Like a, you know, Ramones are a great entry level bar chord yeah, thing yeah. to do. Uh so yeah. Um And was he a country guy? Uh at that time, no. I mean uh, the I mean he he came from a family with really legitimate folk uh bona fides. <laughs> you yeah. know. Uh like his mom and his dad um, played folk instruments and his everybody in his family was musical so he was definitely you know kind of versed in it but he was like me he was he was uh interested in establishing his own identity yeah you know musically or yeah. finding his own music yeah um and punk rock was really what what it was uh, but did, for you, us did you feel on. like you did but i mean uncle tupelo wasn't really punk rock was it no because by the time we were uh, carving out what kind of music we could play, uh, we had discovered that folk music and country music came easier to us uh, than being angry. Yeah, <laughs> being right. super angry. Uh, we did. I mean, the first, the first uh, Uncle Tupelo record. I think you can really hear the uh, stop-start Minutemen type of yeah, like uh, arranging and things like that. Yeah, you weren't angry. You were just moody. We're. Uh, <laughs> depressed <laughs> so you, like yeah you went to the colicky uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's funny that like you know that that adage of uh depression is anger turned inward mm -hmm. you know that that there's some truth to that yeah for sure yeah, yeah. And you hear that in 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 uh treatment or yeah in, in, sure yeah. yeah in the recovery racket yeah yeah that's a yeah I've never quite understood what that means exactly, but it does sound right. It does sound like you know, well, well, like being unkind to yourself. Yeah, is, it's the difference between fuck you and fuck me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. There's, um, I guess it's just two two different ways of looking at the world. Uh, I'm always under the impression that if if I'm upset about something, it's probably my fault. I probably did something wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, it. I just looked at the world in a way that I would set myself up for disappointment or sure. something. You know. Oh yeah, right. Well, that's. Uh, I think that that's that sort of thing. Like you're never going to be as good as you. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what you do either, right? Like mm -hmm. I mean, I have that too. Like, it, but it's lessened a bit as I've gotten older. Mm -hmm. The the expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even know what. I don't even think they're meetable most of the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean. Um, yeah, I, I, it's embarrassing to admit how how difficult it is to um, 
uh, to relate to people sometimes, you yeah. know, to, to like to, to think that people could see things so differently. Uh, that's really a struggle, you know. Right? It, you mean creatively or in in the mass population? Just in the mass population. Well, yeah. You no, know, they're like just to be okay, and and to, un, and to understand it is not being necessarily right or wrong. But that there are some people that just are not self-reflective or philosophical. You know? Yeah, and, and, and they, that's all I do. Right, <laughs> and, and and what's even more annoying is they seem okay. Yeah, no, exactly. No, they they seem totally happy. Yeah, and then you know what are you supposed to do with that besides hate their guts? Exactly, full on <laughs> resentment. You can't. You got to be missing something. Yeah, wake yeah. up, man. Yeah. It's a sad world out there, and we're all sad inside. Yeah, you do not deserve whatever. <laughs> Is that yeah, is doing that for you? How dare you have peace of mind? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when did that start to to sort of you know manifest itself? You know, because it is a part of a like a lot of people who are creatives disposition. You know, they struggle with uh, self judgment, with not you know, with uh, insecurity, with never being happy with your work, with you know, substance abuse, substance abuse, and all that. I mean, I have all of those things, mm-hmm. but I've been sober a long time. You're sober now, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you know, when did that start? Because, I mean, I didn't, I don't remember seeing the movie about you, but I heard it was rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I, I mean, I think that I have mood disorders that go back to childhood. You do? Yeah. Like, how did they manifest when you were a kid? Like, you were detached? Or? Oh, I, I think I, it took me a long time to understand and recognize that, uh, that I was probably having panic attacks and anxiety oh. at an early age. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I've, I've made some core, uh, you know, some non-scientific, uh, correlation in my mind between that and, and migraines, which started, I started having when I, as far back as I can remember, maybe even like six years old or something, like massive high headaches and debilitating, you know, vomit all day kind of headaches. Really? Yeah. So I, I think that that's all related somehow uh, to what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, just like. Um, it just came early on. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, because I, when I try to track my own shit, like, I'm surprised, you know, with somebody that with that has the disposition you're describing. Like, I, you, something that stood out to me that you said earlier, which was like, you know, I, I look forward to uh, to whatever. Yeah. Now I I take that as a positive thing because like I tend to dread almost everything. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow you don't have that. Uh. With the anxiety, that's how my anxiety works. It's like, oh fuck, I gonna Jeff Tweedy's coming over, and I don't like. I didn't listen to enough. God damn it. Yeah. I, how's that gonna go? Oh yeah. <laughs> It's going awful, man. By the way, it's just just the worst, worst interview you've ever done. You can't wait to get out of here. Um, I, um, I definitely have. Um, I don't know. I'm more worried about being. Uh, the, the way anxiety feels bad to me is yeah. that I feel trapped in a moment that I can't get out of. Oof. And, you know, that, that like your like, brain locks I want to be anywhere but here right now in the, the way I feel right now. Oh, right, right. And, um, oh, that's exactly, that's like, uh, that's alcoholism 101. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so I maybe, I, you know, I definitely have some really strong innate survival instincts. Sure. And uh, maybe that's a part of it. You know, maybe yeah. it's like just like knowing that I've gotten through those feelings that I never thought I would get through in the moment. And it also, strangely, if you look at it in the right way, it might be how you get through those things. Mm-hmm. Like, you, sure. you, you know what I mean? Like, you don't crumble. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, I'm in it. It's happening. Yeah, right. Right. 
Oh, yeah, no, I've like I've got up on stage in that condition. I've like I've I've shown up for my kids' school plays in that condition. You know, it, you know, without just awkward. Uh, basically, completely trapped in my head. Oh yeah, you know, I've been having that lately. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's a it's an it's an awful feeling it, because like you know, in, in, in phones don't help. Mm-hmm. These, you know, and, and certain things about modern life don't help. But like a lot of times, I realize, like, you know, I'm among people. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't happen when I'm talking to people. This is like a, it's always a relief, no matter mm-hmm. how much I'm anxious about it. Mm-hmm. Once I'm in it, I'm like present and I'm there. Yeah. Or, or if I'm on stage doing comedy, but like a lot of times, if I'm just in the in the world, in my car, mm-hmm. out in life, even with my girlfriend or with mm-hmm. other people, I'm like, where the fuck am I? Like, you yeah. feel like you're walking next to yourself. You know? Yeah. That's like the, I've realized. Uh, I'm always leaving situations where i was socializing with people and wondering uh, replaying everything that was said and done oh yeah because i don't feel like i was entirely present (laughs) and so i'm like what did you do while you were there talking did you that guy wanted to talk about the cubs and you were asking him where we go when we die yeah or something like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Too much but, information guy. Yeah. You're the guy that's like, okay, you know, that's all great. But like, what's the point? Yeah. 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 It is It is kind of like, yeah. You know, the Cubs, they're all going to die. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> Some of them might be even dying right now. You don't really know. <laughs> We're all kind of dying. <laughs> I, 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 you know, the mortality thing, I don't like, uh, I don't fester on in, in the immediate way. Because the way that works with me is sort of like, I am dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not sort of like what happens or we're gonna, uh-huh. it's sort of like when I can, when I go to that fear, I'm sort of like, what, what, um, it's happening now. Mm-hmm. What, how do you handle it? Um, you think about it? I do. I mean, I'm fairly obsessed with it as a, as a source of things to write about and think about. It's just, it's just the strangest thing in the world to me that knowing we, that we all share that that's one of the only things we all have in common yeah it doesn't end well for anybody and like all of the yeah exactly (laughs) all all the you know the most amazing talents and and geniuses and everything throughout history they all they all died (laughs) yeah yeah and and, you know like uh no one figured that one out how not to do that right exactly and then you and then you think well you know, uh, what were their strategies for living that allowed them to be able to, con- if, if other people have been able to cope with that right. knowledge, right. Um, how am I, how, what can I learn to be better at coping with that knowledge and not be deba- uh, debilitated by it or uh, made more fearful about living? Yeah. You know? Right. Uh, well, it seems like music, like, you know, when you talk about that as being a through line in, in your songwriting, I mean, there's also a, a, some sort of like elevated appreciation of these moments that you and relationships that you, you, you say you're detached from. Maybe your brain is sort of, you know, mm-hmm. processing the feelings of being in those moments. Yeah, I think that's, um, I mean, that's the plane I'm kind of stuck on a lot of times. Yeah. 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 They're like, you know, as you're having it, mm-hmm. you're like, uh, your brain's kind of like working mm-hmm. it somewhere. Yeah. Because I don't know where you you, you pull your, your songwriting, where the craft comes from. I mean, outside of getting it on the paper. But like I do a lot of my creativity happens on stage and I don't know why or how I'm delivered the mm-hmm. tag you know yep. what's going to make that like I corner myself mm-hmm. in front of people 
yeah. you know, where to where I'm like, I got to get out of this in a funny way. And yeah. then, it, then it comes. Yeah. So like, what is your process of pulling poetry out of the air? Um, it's, it's basically a trust in, in the process. So that's a trust. You're, you're describing right. trust, right. you know, just like this, um, this faith that something funny is going to happen yeah. and, or, uh, and that it's not the end of the world if it doesn't. Right. You can make that funny. That yeah, didn't yeah. happen. Exactly. Didn't get it. Yeah. Um, you, you've, you've honed this skill of right. getting out of this, um, uh, and, and, and allowing yourself to go into your subconscious and come back unscathed. Right. You know, yeah. somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have a, I have a lot of different processes that I just trust that I and, and I enjoy, and I dis, I disappear. Um, my sense of of ego being like the the guide of the ship uh-huh. has disappeared. Yeah, and it's just something I'm doing. Or Interesting, just, and that's a, a meditative almost place. Yeah. Like you sit down to do it. Yeah, I go. To, I do it every day. I make something every day, yeah. and it's always um, the goal. It doesn't always happen, but the right. goal is to kind of disappear and then look at your watch and go, "Oh, I've been doing this for like two or three hours." And and what do you what do you what do you do in two or three hours? What do you you get a, a generally speaking? Is it a page? Is it is it a do you go stream of consciousness? Um, it could be it anything. Gonna... It could be like a guitar part. Oh, okay. For a song I'm working on, yeah, or yeah. it could be a set of lyrics. Uh-huh. Or, um, I I I do this thing on, on almost all of my tracks that I record at the loft. Yeah. When I'm working on new songs, I I hum or mumble something where I think words are going to go. Right. With a melody. Yeah. And a, and a rhythmic structure that yeah. I think is going to fit. Yeah. And that allows me to keep working on the song without having lyrics. Oh, right. And then at some point I sit down and I translate what- The mumbles. The mumbles. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, your, your brain is wired to do that. You can't yeah. listen to chaos and and nonsense without your brain wanting to hear words. So if oh, you listen yeah. to it over and over and over enough, yeah. you just hear words. Right, and right. And so I write those down. I'm surprised that at some point you didn't do just a mumble song. Uh, who? How do you know I have? I don't. <laughs> I, I, I don't know the full catalog. Yeah, but yeah. Well, a... no, there are definitely certain... Uh, there are verses and yeah. things in songs that are on records that were never finished that yeah. I just like never found the right thing for but it sounds enough like language that it's there <laughs> and you go on you know, go on the internet and like look up my lyrics on yeah. you know somebody else's somebody else's transcribed it right. into something oh, sometimes I'll just sing that <laughs> <laughs> so you have the Google search on your name just so you can fill in a couple of mumble holes. Here exactly, there. if I need to. <laughs> so the the thing that's amazing that I'm realizing as I talk to you is that like whatever you guys set out to do, you know, you and Jay and, and that the first band, that you know, somehow or another, because I remember when you guys broke up and I remember at the time you know, having like, I started, I was aware of you for, you know, with Anodyne and then like I had to go back for the other ones at some point. Mm-hmm. But I remember there was a point where, you know, the, the two paths taken 
where I, I had to sort of make a choice in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was aware of you enough that mm-hmm. I was sort of like, well, now like what, you know, who do I go with mom or dad here? Yeah. You know, like what's going to, you know, and, and like, cause like it, I, I couldn't. Such, what? such a weird thing. It's stupid, but it, you know, but that's the way sort of, you know, loyalty to music goes. I mm-hmm. really loved the Uncle Tupelo and I love that, that last album you guys did. And part of my brain, I think what it is, is like, how could they go now? Yeah. They just did this. Well, that's the way I felt, actually, at the time. I thought that the, I actually thought that, that for all of the um, incompat- incompatibilities yeah. <laughs> right. present in the way our, per- our, our personalities clash, right. uh, that we kind of achieved something that transcended that and yeah. was like worth kind of like, well, this is, this is worth working on right. other things. Yeah. I, I believed that at the time, for sure. I was definitely, I was definitely kind of, uh, uh, I don't know. Blindsided by the right by, by the, him taking off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was one of those things. Like as a person, as just a fan of music, and not a guy who's ever been in bands, mm-hmm. but a guy who, like, you know, I get, you know, I'm not a complete nerd, but like, you know, I appreciate things. But there are certain bands where it's sort of like right when they hit, like, well, this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, now they got a base, right? And then it's sort of like we're done, and I'm like, yeah. holy fuck. Yeah, it's a, so yeah. Okay, so you were blindsided, and then you guys went your ways. Yeah, yeah, and I was I was really kind of I was sure uh, that I wasn't going to have a record deal. I was I, you know I I pretty much accepted that it was Jay's band, or, yeah, or that that most people at the at the record company and most people in general uh, looked at him as the lead singer and the and the main songwriter in the band and yeah so I was I was really kind of shocked that they gave me any opportunity to make any more records so. so did that like so that happened at you know after the breakup you both got deals separate deals we both basically got the Uncle Tupelo deal uh-huh but starting over right yeah. but it was sort of interesting that the way you went because i was sort of a you know a stones mm-hmm. kind of blues yeah oriented person that you know that jay's first record was sort of like i get this you yeah, know yeah. it's not you know it's not challenging me that much and yeah. you know i can go with the group but i could completely identify how both of you were the band you were right. and that was the point i was trying to make is that there is a through line that through your evolution that the sound of who you are persevered all the way through and i, and I think the same with him that you can feel you guys mm-hmm. you know doing what you do but you know you broke something open and he you know stayed on a line in a way and that's not a criticism. No, I, you know, I've kept up with Jay's recorded output and, yeah. and listened to everything. And yeah, I think he's been true to himself and yeah. and, and and worked hard and made a lot of, you know, uh, great music. And and I don't, uh, you know, I don't personally get at this point in, in time yeah. why there's would be any n- need to. No, I'm over that. Oh, I, you're over, I, take, no, you're yeah, over yeah, picking yeah, a side? Yeah, no, I'm not picking sides anymore. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm old. It was just, it was really, because like I thought I, like that was only a reaction, but once mm. you guys both came There is with, a knife. There's like, I, I, I just noticed this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I don't want any trouble. You know, I, I, I like both of you guys. I like you more right now. Cause, yeah, right, because I'm right here yeah, right and there. I've got a knife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. It didn't really last long because, like, it was so different. They were both so unique, and you, you both were putting out, you know, good work. But it was just sort of, 
it is i i don't you, you know he's not here to mm. to say anything and i'm certainly not saying anything negative but it seemed that you know once you got free of it that you know your 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 whole brain and the possibilities of what music could be you know kind of like broke open it might have been out of fear it might have been out of i don't know what but you know all of a sudden you know you you elevated you, you challenged yourself to in a degree that that really defined your sound for the rest of it uh I think it's sort of um, uh, Uncle Tupelo was was much more engaged in 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 narrowing things down right. to a thing that we do. Right. And I think that AM, the first record I made after Uncle Tupelo, yeah. is still kind of playing by those rules. Right. You know. Yeah. Where within what my parameters were as a songwriter and what I'm capable of singing or whatever. Right. Is still kind of coloring in those lines yeah. that we did, we'd worked on since we were in Kids. high school yeah. you know uh and then i think after am and trace both came out I, it was like an epiphany that that those that I don't have to i don't have to color in those lines anymore yeah. those you know those were arbitrary <laughs> you right. know, we we drew those around ourselves and and, and and for the most part i i do feel like jay drew those lines yeah. and and that's that's not a criticism either that was yeah. like you know that was kind of his uh you know his his uh comfort zone yeah you know yeah so so yeah it wasn't it wasn't a conscious effort to uh that's interesting you say comfort zone because you you know you are perpetually uncomfortable and you learn to live with it and that's your survival trait so you know it would make sense that after a certain point you're like well i could you know do yeah i i just started like thinking that um uh i liked like i mean if we're gonna go back to the original records yeah. i like the monkeys and and hawkwind i and don't know <laughs> steam engine music yeah, and steam and engine steam, sound and steam, yeah and like so uh um those are the those are pretty wide parameters and a lot of stuff fits in between all of those things, yeah you know so uh, yeah it was just like oh wow i can i can try and incorporate more of what i love into this thing and see if anybody cares <laughs> and, and and i and then you surrounded yourself with with musicians you know that it seems like you know when when you know in the first four records when when it says produced by wilco mm -hmm. you know what does that really mean because it seems like you know you've you've got to, you've always surrounded yourself with exceptional players mm -hmm. of different kinds with a lot of range and that there's a certain space to all the records that you know is is patient and deliberate and and not overcompensating for anything that there's a balance and that nothing sounds like wilco records what is the process of that on a on a sort of a group level of production? Um, well, it's been different on every record, and uh, you know the first uh, all the all the records up until a ghost is born. Yeah, uh, none of them have the same lineup on them. Right, there's slight changes or, yeah. or a few personnel changes between each record. But um, I don't know the, the the reason that it says produced by. Wilco generally is because uh, we didn't opt to have a person that is hired as a as a producer. Oh, so you just work with the engineer? Yeah, we just work with an engineer, yeah. and then with the with the um, with the the philosophy that you shouldn't really be deferring to somebody else. It's it's I can I get the appeal, I can see that it's comforting and I can and as and as a person that's produced records for other people, I do know that the, there there's something that's really helpful about it yeah. for, for some 
some artists. But right. for us, we felt like we needed to um, take ownership of all of these, you know, decisions we were making and that, I don't know, I think we felt like we did make good decisions when we were deferring to someone else. Yeah, and then, uh, I can understand that. Yeah, it, the Glimmer Twins, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but, um, but like then later on, like I'm sort of fascinated with Jim O'Rourke a little bit. Uh-huh. So like what you're, and, and I don't know him, but I know he's like worked with Joanna Newsom and I, I have his yep. solo records, a, yep. a couple of them. Now, w- when you work with somebody like that, who is sort of a you know genius in his own right, when you work with somebody like that, is it because you're like, this guy, I respect this guy, he's going to do something with me and my sound that I'm not going to be able to find by myself? For sure. I mean, um, uh, yeah, Jim. Jim's a one-of-a-kind, right. uh, you know, just like a bona fide genius, right. musical genius, and... Um, I was, it would be wrong. You couldn't really work with Jim without um, allowing him to do his thing. Yeah. There was, you know, there's no scenario where you just have Jim be a producer right. that just allows something to happen in the studio. You know, why, why would you bother to have right. Jim O'Rourke there? Yeah. And he, he's, he did uh, A Ghost Is Born and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. We worked together on that one, uh, kind of like brought most of the tracks in already recorded. And then we, um, you know, kind of rebuilt them. And that's the, see, if you haven't seen the movie, that's good because that's actually the part that's not in the movie. Yeah, which is? <laughs> is is the actual making of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. <laughs> because the, the, I think that the filmmakers had kind of run out of money by that point and, and Jay was, uh, I don't know, Jay was very minimally involved in that stage of it because he, I don't know, for whatever, for a lot of different, yeah, Jay yeah. Bennett. And then, uh, but uh, we started working at a different studio other than The Loft, and yeah. it was kind of Glenn Kochi, who had just joined the band, and and Jim and I, for a long period, kind of re- remixing the stuff that we'd already recorded and kind of rebuilding sections. It was a kind of a crazy process, because we would, we would record uh, whole new sections and just splice them in on tape. Yeah. And we didn't really have uh all the technology we needed so we would uh we would mix like say the first verse and chorus yeah and then put it on tape and then wipe the board and start over and mix the next verse and chorus wow and then cut the tape and splice those together and then do that like some real analog shit huh you could never you could never remix Yankee Hotel Foxtrot it's not in <laughs> it's not in one place it's not like on a it's not I, I don't think anyone would want it you no. know, out of all the records no like, but people know. always I don't even know if you could I don't even know probably remaster it for sure I guess right because there's some some you know master tape somewhere but but the overall idea of like going in and like pulling up faders and it sounding like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot that doesn't exist. Can't do it. Their tracks don't exist. Right. Yeah. Well, so that and, and that's not in the movie is that process and that like that was the record where everyone was like, whoa, this is otherworldly. This is another. This is a new thing. So it was that kind of meticulous, yeah, you know, strange work that can't be replicated. Right, it was like uh, just throwing a whole bunch of crazy ornaments on a on a tree and then taking away the tree or something. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, right, right, yeah. And in that, like, I imagine so that experience really sort of was one of those kind of cathartic and pivotal, you know, changes in how you looked at music. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, just just uh, learning a little bit more about the studio through, you know, Jim's one of my best buddies. So I've gotten to spend, I've learned a lot from him, spent uh-huh. a lot of time with him. He's uh, he's very generous with his musical knowledge and yeah. and uh, you know turning you on to records and stuff like that. Well, he's a great buddy, you know, to listen to music with and that's well. That's great to have that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like it was weird because I don't. Again, this is a world like I I missed out on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And and somehow or another, you know, people send me records because I talk on a microphone. And mm-hmm. at some point from his label, I got maybe one of his solo records, right? Uh-huh. And I put it on. I had no idea who he was, but it uh-huh. was one of those records where I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. Like, right. what is this, like, you know, elevated pop shit? You know, mm-hmm. what? like, what is happening? Right. There's a lot. You, they're just records you put on, you walk out of the room, and you, you go back in the room. And yeah. Like, what? Yeah. And, and right. that, it, I had that experience with him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, yeah. And and that was a big learning, um, I don't know, big lesson learned from working with Jim is that uh, it wasn't. It's not just purely sonic. Yeah. It's not just like putting a weird sound right. on a recording. Yeah. It's it's working musically. There are things that are working uh, against each other, like counterpoint wise, and you know, like there's a there's actual real music theory happening that's yeah. allowing the music to do all of this like emotional manipulation that you didn't know about uh that i that i definitely i definitely know about because yeah, i listen just, and i love music and i instinctually i could, I, I could stum- stumble yeah. to those moments right and i and i aspired to stumble to yeah. those moments jim was able to just go oh that's what you want to do here put these yeah. together here's the math yeah. Yeah. and so that like, i learned a lot from that and you know retained a lot of that i think going forward um just uh like not that i gained a you know a, a deep knowledge or understanding of music theory, but definitely right. was learned enough to kind of get from point A to point B a little bit faster yeah. as a self-taught, like kind of, yeah. you know, wow, sure. Ill- illiterate. <laughs> you need yeah, you need a wizard to come in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the last few records, you've been working with the same people as well, right? Mm-hmm. In the production area. What's that guy's name? Tom Schick. And, and what, where'd you find him? Um... The first record we did together was the first Mavis Staples record that I um, oh, yeah, that produced. Good. That was great. And he, uh, uh, the guy that had been booked to engineer that record, kind of bailed at the last minute, and, yeah. and so I kind of lucked out and and uh, found Tom at the very last minute, and we've been working together on everything since then. We just really have a you know very compatible work ethic and style of of i don't know moving around the studio he's really fast and really you know intuitive and oh good and yeah so we uh he actually ended up moving to chicago and and we you know i see him every day oh that's well yeah that's yeah. nice and yeah. you've got a whole operation there you got an office you got it you got the uh, the loft with studios you, you got people coming in there and recording at the place yeah and you you actually did some stuff out at you were out at willie nelson's place Long time yeah, ago, and yeah, yeah. Was it in Spicewood, uh, Texas, Pedernales. No, oh, I don't know. Like I was looking it, it at some of the stuff. It might be in Spicewood, but it's well, called Pedernales. The only reason I, I I know it is because I, I actually drive out from Austin to a, a barbecue place in Spicewood anytime uh-huh. I'm in Austin, <laughs> and people don't seem to know about it. It's called Opie's, and it's uh-huh. right in Spicewood, just sitting there by itself in this uh-huh. like large 
corrugated tin like hanger and i you know so i just wanted to know if you ate there no All right. <laughs> no <laughs> no i'm sorry it's okay i don't, I don't remember might yeah. have eaten there i don't remember uh, yeah well yeah I, I, it was, was before you know it was before i got you were awake got help <laughs> yeah well, well how did that all happen how did that bottom look uh, like when did the drinking start destroying things? Well, I, oddly enough, I I quit drinking when I was twenty three years old. Yeah, and was it bad? It was bad enough to scare me, given my family history. But uh-huh. the problem was that it, you know I thought that as long as I didn't drink, everything was going to be fine. Right. But Oof. but but you could do <laughs> a lot of other things. Sure. Or I could smoke weed or I could, you know, eventually I found pills oh, and yeah. found opioids. And, oh, really? Yeah. And that's what I actually went through rehab for. It'll be 15 years since I was in the hospital in March. And were you taking them as prescribed initially or how did it work? Um, no, For not, in, not initially, but then there was a period where I was being prescribed opioids legitimately. Yeah. Um, and with some, some wiggle room in my, my mind <laughs> that I was doing something officially sanctioned by a medical professional. <laughs> Which one? Oxys? Uh, Vicodin, Percocet. Uh. Old school. Morphine. Oh, yeah. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, I was able to get my hands on a lot of stuff. Do you listen to any of the music and and think like, well, that was submerged in opioids? Not really, because I actually wasn't particularly good at performing or writing or doing anything in that state. It was something that happened more on the road. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, generally... Generally, my my artistic life has been a, pretty far ahead of me, is in terms of uh, health uh-huh. <laughs> or uh-huh. mental health. Right. Oh, that's and, good. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've lucked out in that regard. I, I didn't write a lot of songs glorifying that. If anything, I wrote but, some that were kind of uh, upset about the situation. But in terms of the sound, like I mean, because if I listen to like you know Iggy Pop's "The Idiot," like I'm like this this shit is underwater. You know, yeah, like that, yeah. like that, like it didn't, it didn't affect orally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what you heard. No, I don't think so. Uh-huh. No, like I, but I mean, I would, um, I was good at quitting. Yeah. Oh, sure. So I could actually have periods where I, you know. Work and, yeah. yeah like, you know, and I, as, as you know, quitting isn't really the no, problem. No. It's yeah. starting again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's stopping yourself from starting again. Yeah, that yeah. moment. Yeah. So what uh, what did uh, bring you to the, your knees, as they say in the, uh, in the, in the literature? Um, I had a... Uh, uh, Ghost is Born was finished and it was uh, about to come out and I yeah. was scheduled to do a European press tour. Yeah. And uh, and I was panicking so much, uh, just spending whole days in, in the throes of anxiety. And, yeah. And I had lost like 30 pounds and uh-huh. I couldn't see myself getting on a plane and I was trying to figure out a way to go do this thing. And... Uh, I had a really, really awful uh, therapist at the time who was kind of pouring gasoline on the, right. the situation. Not enough of them know about addiction. Well, yeah, he was. He was. I think he was, you know, borderline criminally negligent. You know, he told me that I shouldn't take any antidepressants because it's bad for my creativity. Wow. Yeah. But I should. Take, was... But I should go ahead and take the the Vicodin or the opioids because, you know, you 
they make you feel good. Was this guy a musician? No. Mm. Well, he actually, he, he was. He mm. aspired to be. There you go. Uh, he would read me his poetry oh, sometimes. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy yeah. Was, oh, so this guy's solution that was going to be, uh, you know, uh, fix the whole problem was he was going to start traveling with me. Is what oh, he, what he suggested. Yeah, it's like Brian Wilson. You got yeah, that guy. I'm like, and and my, wow. man, my manager and I were like, I had a moment of clarity. It was like, okay, this is. This guy's a nut. I need to get the hell out <laughs> of here. How long were you with him? I was with him for a while, yeah. you know, like five or six years. And, wow. Yeah. Huh. And so, um, you know, I just, uh, he actually drove me home because I couldn't drive because I was panicking so much. And he dropped me off at my house and sped off. The therapist. Yeah. The yeah. therapist. <laughs> and, my, and my wife and I, I was like, I, I like, let's just go to the hospital. I need to be checked into somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, I can't function. I don't want to be around my kids. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And um, we went two days in a row. They they turned me away the first day. The second day, they told me about a place that was a dual diagnosis facility, you know. And I was like, you know, why hasn't somebody told me that this exists yeah. before? Dual yeah. diagnosis meaning, meaning mental they, health and addiction? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, which... Uh, it's like the the second somebody described that as being an option. Yeah, it was like go. I take me to there. Yeah, you know? yeah, so that right. is where I need to be. Yeah, and how and, long were you in? Uh, I was in a month, and then uh, another month or two. I can't remember in a halfway house. Oh, really? Afterwards. Yeah, did the whole thing. I did because you thing. didn't want to inf- infect your family with your emotional and psychological wanted, inconsistency. I, I was anything was better than what I had been through. Right. And I wanted to do whatever they told me that I needed to do, even if I thought it was overkill or ridiculous. Yeah, right. Um, as they say in recovery, my best thinking had put me right, in that situation. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the halfway house must have been humbling. Yeah, it was insane. It was. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was. Um, I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it was the. You know the best environment for me I, I i i was very fortunate that like a lot a lot of people have to make a whole new life for themselves yeah. they have to cut out family members even yeah. you know they have right and i had a place to go really right. with a lot of supportive people right but it was good it was good to be uh to stay in an environment where i was focused on yeah. what i needed to do the humility of that yeah yeah and and do you do the thing uh well i i do in in uh uh, I mean, go to meetings yeah. and stuff like that. I I still see the same doctor I actually met in the hospital, uh-huh. and and I I feel like that has worked for me in the way that I think meetings uh-huh. work for people. Someone to you know to talk to Somebody about to talk to. recovery. I kind of I kind of look sobriety. at like meetings as a as like a a, a really great egalitarian way of, of providing group therapy for a lot of people. Yeah, and also yeah. keeping the focus on the illness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I haven't like I haven't lost sight of that side uh-huh. of things. And where does the conversion to Judaism come in? <laughs> uh, my youngest son was going through uh, Hebrew school, b- preparing to be bar mitzvahed, and he was struggling with the... Uh, the whole ordeal of it and not yeah. wanting to go and learning uh, the songs and yeah, yeah. and uh, learning his Torah portion yeah. and, and um and I made a uh an offer to him I said I I'll go with you and I will uh while you're do- while you're in Hebrew school I'll talk to the rabbi every week and 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 uh, see if he he'll allow me to convert 
And uh, really? and if we, uh, you know, once we get through this whole thing and you're having your bar mitzvah, I'll do my conversion ceremony. And and that was enough to get him to go every week because he had to go because I pick him up from school and I'm like, right. well, I have to be there, so you have to come with me. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, have you been bar mitzvahed? No, not technically. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I think yeah. you can do that if you want, can't you? I probably could. We actually, when Spencer, my oldest, was bar mitzvahed, Susie's father, uh-huh. uh, my stepfather. I mean, not my stepfather. Your father-in-law. Father-in-law. He, uh, he was bar mitzvahed because yeah. he was too poor to be bar mitzvahed when he was younger. Wow. He didn't have a quarter for Hebrew school. Wow. And they kicked him out. So you always were good with the bringing up the kids Jewish, but you didn't really have a, a, a stake in it in a certain way. I wanted, I, I wanted us all to be on the same team when the shit goes down. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, you know, like yeah. this, uh, yeah. like, I, don't, I don't want there to be any gray area here. Right, yeah. If, if we got to get on the train, we're all getting on. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So my, that. that's like that. You have my my my, my wife's sense of humor. She, she, she thinks that she yeah. won't ever travel to Germany because she thinks that every every time she hears anyone saying anything in German, they're saying "get in the oven." Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a you know we learn that. Yeah. In a yeah. way, you, yeah. you know, the the fear of that and the the need to uh, always remember. Yeah. So, but uh, as a spiritual system, do you use it or no? Um, or is it more of a, a a thing that you are now? I find myself uh, extremely comfortable and, and attracted to secular Judaism. You yeah. know, like and 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 we're you know obviously a really liberal reformed yeah. congregation. Uh-huh. Where my kids were bar mitzvah and I did my conversion and and the and the notion that was that was sold me was when Spencer was going through his bar mitzvah. Uh, he told the rabbi that he didn't believe in God. Yeah, and and the rabbi said that doesn't matter. Yeah, he said you know it matters that you look, that yeah. you search. Yeah, and and I said well that's exactly what I believe, and and so that was what made me super um, comfortable with having any kind of. Uh, spiritual identification. It's interesting because I bet as a rabbi in his heart, he knows that the searching is actually a dialogue with God. Right. In, in, right. In, right. Well, actually, is, this is his in, incredible, incredible rabbi. He was 103 when he passed away. Wow. And he revived, once he let go of his congregation, he revised his entire theology in, to to account for there not being a god uh-huh. because he and he said now that he didn't have a after he had nobody to take care of anymore he was able to look more clearly interesting at this. he's a fascinating guy and he like and he said you don't need god to be good you don't need you know right. this but 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 the idea that god would ignore all of these prayers during the holocaust and during everything yeah. is is absurd yeah you know right right yeah. Oh, so he just removed it from the equation. He just removed it from equation, revised his entire theology, and um, who does that at ninety something years old? You know, that's when he when he had retired. A, a guy that stopped believing the bullshit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was a really, really great. And that was. Uh, I can go with that. You know, yeah, I guess like you know, you know, to suspend your disbelief in order to have faith is 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 one thing, but to accept life as it is and still find peace and be a decent human 
is is also practical. Uh, it, it's less uh, a kind of magical thinking. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, it's a pain in the ass to be an asshole. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. But sadly, for some of us, it's the first reflex. <laughs> Sure. You know, you, what you got to do if you got the asshole bug is you got to get a little space in between acting like an asshole, which is instinctual, yeah. and, and, and just so you go like, hey, don't, don't. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Don't. You can stop yourself 90% of the time. Yeah. You're doing yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. As long as like all that, uh, you know, 90% of the energy is, isn't coming out in the 10%. Like right. if you're if you're stocking up, right. yeah, that ten percent could be pretty fucking gnarly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you gotta, yeah, I I, I struggle yeah, with the, that. Yeah. So the the new record is a, a Jeff Tweedy record. Correct. What makes that different? Different guys. <laughs> just me. It's it's just, all you. It's all me except for the drums, which is Spencer, my oldest son, and Glenn Kochi uh, plays drums on one track. Uh huh. And uh. I my drumming debuts on one track. That's the first. Oh, that's yeah. exciting! Did yeah. your son teach you how? Yeah, kinda. No, it's, it's heavily edited. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> and what's it like working with your kid? How old is he? He's twenty-two. Oh. Uh, it's great. It's uh, highly recommend working with your own DNA. Uh-huh. You know, uh, something. You know, music requires a lot of trust and intuition, and and uh, you know something that borders on telepathy. Yeah. You know, or you know, without a lot of magical thinking, again, yeah. you know, just have to, I don't know, find that way to communicate musically. Yeah. And it's it was really just incredible when Spencer and I started doing it more, you know, in a legit scenario other uh-huh. than just playing together in the basement. Or whatever. Right, like right. That, that uh, a lot of things that I had experienced with other musicians where I really grew close to them uh, were automatic. Oh, yeah. You know, and he's... Uh, very it's like we have one one yeah. brain or kind of do yeah kind of yeah and what's the other kid doing he's going to school uh sarah lawrence and he's a uh, uh, great uh finger picker interested in a lot of noise synthesizer stuff and but music. he hasn't fall far hasn't fallen far from the tree either <laughs> you know you knew your, you and your wife are good yeah we're good we're good you know still uh Dealing with her, her, she has some uh, cancer issues that uh-huh. are like we're we're able to treat. So we're we're working on, you know, it's a slog. It's a demoralizing yeah. slog. Sure. But, but she's she's doing great. Good. And uh, what about uh, is there a resolution with you and Jay? <laughs> I don't have any axe to grind. Uh, uh-huh. You know, uh, I think that from my from my perspective, I think there's some resolution. But I, I don't. It's not. Um, yeah, you know, mom and dad are probably not going to get that back together. But. Oh yeah, but you, you you haven't talked. Um, we've talked periodically, just very very briefly, mm. just like in a more matter of fact. It, oh, yeah. it's like I I get an email from Jay occasionally that's uh-huh. like just uh do we do we have any more demo tapes or anything right, like right. that? Yeah, yeah, professional stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it was great talking to you. Uh, great luck with the book. I hope the new record. Uh, sells well do you want to try and play a song on these mics Uh, i could try it okay i'm gonna i'll stop it and we'll set up all right let's see hold on yeah i could try it listen to which way which is go that way you know what What? can i hear what it sounds like with one mic i think this will sound better 
to not feel love when a sunny day starts to rain keep me in mind i know what it's like i know what it's like i know what it's like to not feel love even when i'm wide awake i keep turning back one page i can't find the plot and something else is taking shape it's like to keep losing your place my shadow stays even when i'm miles away waiting outside i know what it's like i know what it's like i know what it's like to not feel pain when the lights are dim in my window i have a twin i'm always looking out and he's always looking in i know what it's like starting over again Great. All right. That's off the new record. Yes, it is. I just listened to it with oh, the yeah. with the whole with all the or you know yeah. full produced version. Yeah, yeah. So nice to hear it just like that. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Jeff, for talking. It was really lovely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that was beautiful. It was at, like the way he like. It was so funny because I haven't really recorded music in this room. At best, even at the old place, I was bad at it. But like, I had a way of doing it, and he was like, "No, I'm going to just do it this way." And uh, who am I to argue with that wizard? Who am I to argue with the wizard Tweety? And it, it sounded pretty great. So, uh, as I said, his new book, "Let's Go," so we can get back a memoir of recording and discording with Wilco, etc. It's available uh, now. And tomorrow, the new album, "Warm," his solo album, uh, comes out. Uh, that's uh, tomorrow, November 30th. 
and I will be at the Ice House December 2nd, Sunday. No, I'm not going to play music today. Not after, not after Tweety did. Boomer lives! <laughs>